invite you to turn with me this morning to the very first book in your Bibles, Genesis, the second chapter of that book. We'll begin reading at verse 8, and we'll read quite a few verses together on through verse 6 of chapter 3. Word of our Lord. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put, a, he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes round the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Hidekel. It is the one which goes forth toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to all the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Let's pray. O God, from whom all good proceeds, Grant that by your inspiration we may think those things which are right and by your merciful guiding we may do them. Through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. She took of the fruit and ate. So begins the story of redemption. A story of man's fall into sin. And more importantly, a story of God's pursuit at any cost. Whether the cost... And especially when the cost would be a cost against himself. This is how the story begins. This is how our story begins. Because that is what the scriptures are. They are your story and mine. In the pages of scripture we should be remembered of things we have done. We should be remembered of challenges we have faced. We should be remembered. Struggles. Temptations. Here's where it begins. In a garden. Here's how it begins. With a tree and its fruit. The Scriptures are a story of a redeeming God who has created all things, who has seen His creation collapse, and who rushes to redeem it. In Adam's fall... Adam makes a a number of exchanges. Adam had enjoyed liberty. He had known what freedom was. This weekend, we as a nation celebrated liberty and freedom. We celebrated our independence. We celebrated our birthday, as it were. Adam forfeits liberty. He forfeits his freedom And in exchange, he receives bondage. He finds himself in bondage to sin, in bondage to self. He finds himself enslaved. He exchanged love. And in exchange for love, he found fear. 
He hides when the Lord God comes walking through the garden in the cool of the day. God calls out to him, Where are you? He fears both God and others. He sees Eve, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He sees her as an enemy to be feared. What have you done? The Lord God says to Adam. It was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Adam's world is turned upside down. In the fall, our world is turned upside down. We enter into the world with bondage and fear and stupidity. Adam had knowledge. He knew God. He knew the world that he had inherited. He named all the animals. And if that word stupidity offends you, we should be reminded that sin is always stupid. We know what we get in exchange for it. We know how the story unfolds. We know how the game plays out. And yet, we do it anyways. Adam, who had named all the animals, finds himself making a stupid and careless decision that will call for the sacrifice of some of those animals as covering. He exchanges truth from falsehood. The Apostle Paul reminds us of reminds us of this in Romans. We said no thanks to truth and instead bought the lie. The serpent asked Eve, Did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees? It's funny how he um, chooses his words very carefully. Eve's response is, Oh no, God said we could eat of any of the trees except for that, that one that's in the midst of the garden. Not only can we not eat of it, we cannot even touch it or we die. Suddenly, reality is blurred. Truth is mixed with half-truth. And falsity abounds. He exchanged work, unfortunately, for work. You know, we think of work as kind of the bane of our existence. It's what we have to do. Nobody enjoys doing it. I say nobody in a very, very broad sense. There are a number of people who enjoy what they do. I think, I think the, last, uh, the last figure I saw was that less than half of working Americans, less than half actually enjoy their work. That's unfortunate. Because Adam was placed in the garden prior to the fall. He was intended to keep the garden, to tend it. Part of the curse on Adam is the curse on the land. 
rather than things growing and producing fruit as they were intended, the ground will spring up thorns and thistles and Adam will work not in delight but by the sweat of his brow. Rather than satisfying and productive work, man finds himself with tiresome and futile work. Those pumpkins never sprouted. Those caterpillars got after the tomatoes. The money sunk into the garden is now a waste. Why do I have to do this anyhow? Why do I have to get up every morning at dark? Why do I crawl back into the bed and feel miserable every night? Why does the pager, if you still have a pager, why does the pager still go off at 3 a.m.? Man exchanges his creativity for pain. Man, made in the image of God, was a creator. He was designed to bring life out of nothing. Part of the woman's curse is that her pain in labor would grow exceedingly. The miracle of bringing new life into the world will no longer be as intended, but instead it will be joined with pain and danger. She took of the fruit and ate. And life was given in exchange for death. The Lord God had warned them, in the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did the stupid thing for fear that God was holding out on them. Notice, notice the serpent's cunning temptation. God's holding out on you. He knows that this is going to be a real good for you. And He doesn't want you to have it. In fact, not only does He know this will be a real good for you, and not only does He not want you to have it, the reason why is because you'll be like God. You'll be like Him. And again, in their stupidity... And for fear that God, the one they knew in love, was holding out on them, they bought into this falsehood, not knowing all the while, not remembering all the while, that they were made in God's very own image. And after His likeness.
The temptation is surprisingly common. It's just, it seems like the most run-of-the-mill story. There was a garden, and there was a tree. And God said, quite simply, don't eat from that tree, you will die. It will kill you. As we should suspect, the temptation is physically spiritual. Because you and I are physically spiritual. Don't you dare do that with your body or it will kill your soul. And the following chapters of the book of Genesis tell us the story of the spiral into sin. We read of Cain and Abel, a brother killing his brother out of anger and rage because he saw his brother as an enemy, one to be feared. Though God was right there pleading with him, Hold back. Hold it together. Sin is crouching at your door and it will devour you. We read of Cain and his murderous rage. We read of new hope in a, another son, Seth. And by the time we get to the story of Noah, we read that every... Every intention, every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. We think of the story of Noah and the flood as something cute. We put pictures up of a nice rounded boat. You know, in our nurseries, in our children's church rooms, we sing about the, the animals marching up on the boat in twosies, twosies. And we forget that it was a depressingly dark story. Every intent, not just every intent, but every intent of every thought in man's heart the core of his being was only evil and that continually. So much so that God said, I regret, I repent, I change my mind that I have ever even made this. That's how bad sin is. That's the road it will take us down. We like to be high and mighty with our sin and think, it's not so bad. In fact, we'll point the finger at God as Adam did and say, why in the world are you going to punish perfectly good people just because these 
innocent little sins. As God told Cain, if sin has its way with you, it will devour you. It will ruin you. It will destroy marriages. It will destroy minds. It will cause us to be the stupidest people alive. It will cause us to be paranoid in fear. It will cause us to hate what we do, to loathe how we spend the majority of our lives. It will enslave us. It will break us and cause pain. And in the end, it will require our lives of us. But the story, the story is not one of death. The story is one of life that springs up in death. The story is of redemption, of hope, of peace and restoration. The story of Scripture, our story, the story in which we are called to find our lives is one of God who pursues us and offers to us abundance and life and liberty and joy. The story ends much like it begins. It began with the Garden of Eden, and it ends with a new Jerusalem. We read of the garden being placed between the rivers. Mesopotamia, a word that literally means between the rivers, Tigris and the Euphrates. And here in Genesis, it tells us of the rivers, it tells us that there are four streams that break out. And from that garden, we find our destiny being in the new Jerusalem where there is the river of life. The prophet Ezekiel envisioned a trickling stream. Just a few drops of water coming from the temple of God. Becoming a great and mighty river. The book of the Revelation tells us that there's that river coming from the throne of God. And its waters are filled with life. And all are invited to come and to drink freely. In the garden we read of that tree of life. In the New Jerusalem, we read that there are trees of life surrounding the rivers. On each side of that river of life is the tree. And its fruit 
is for the healing of the nations. The garden having been guarded by a flaming sword, the cherubim, gives way to a new Jerusalem with a pearly gate. And all are invited to come and to join the party. Jesus cried out, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's interesting that the story that began with Adam and Eve taking and eating ends with what Jesus said would be a great meal of celebration. A wedding feast. And on the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper, and he promised them that he would enjoy that meal with them in eternity, he told his disciples, take and eat. See, sin has a way of destroying and turning our world upside down. But God has an even greater way of turning things on their heads. Our fall, which is summarized in that simple clause, they took and they ate, is met by the redemption of God, which is summarized in that phrase, take and eat. I think God has a, an appreciation, an affinity for irony. The Eucharist is a meal of thanksgiving and a meal of remembrance. But though it is a meal of remembrance that has an eye toward the past, it is also a meal that has an eye toward eternity. Because when we hear the words take and eat, we are reminded that that is God's offering to us in eternity. Take, eat. Come and enjoy.
it is this way in which God chooses to redeem His people by restoring us and by turning our fall on its head that led to the the medieval church incorporating the Latin phrase, O Felix Culpa, O happy fault. What was lost in Adam has been restored more abundantly in Christ. God has met our sin not with just an appropriate response, but with an abundant response. The tragedy of our sin will give way to the glory of redemption. Because He calls us to come, to take, to eat. To come freely. To come without payment. To come. The Scriptures invite us to find our ourselves in this story of redemption. This is our story. The story of our fall and our redemption. Of tragedy and restoration. Of grace and sin. Jesus invited His disciples in the first chapter of John's Gospel to come and to see And on the last night that He spent with them, He invited them to take and to eat. Let's pray.